Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of OK Now What? We have a full panel. We have everyone here. We got Robin, we got Thomas, we got Jason, we got Elizabeth, and we got me, Greg. And um, yeah, so let's go on and get on with today's show. Um, so for months, ever since going back all the way, I believe September, if I'm wrong, please correct me, Robin, but there have been protests um, with the farmers in India, uh, base, basically uh, India was pushing a more neoliberal um, legislation towards the farmers. Robin, you know more about the story. Can you give us some more details on what's been happening lately in India? For sure. So in India, about uh, the population of the U.S. is protesting in India. So around like 250 million people are protesting these three new farm bills that the government passed undemocratically and unconstitutionally. They pushed these bills through without a consensus without discussing it with major stakeholders. They did it on with a voice vote. So people were calling in to vote rather doing an in-person vote. They didn't allow any opposition to make comments or discuss this further. They pushed their really like they ram they um, rammed it through Congress. And so farmers have been on a small scale been protesting since August. And then in September they decided, you know, enough's enough. They're going to do they're going to exercise their right to protest in the in the capital of India at Delhi. So uh, they were going to Delhi. They weren't allowed in. They were barricaded on the borders. They were when they were making their way to Delhi. They were tear gas. They were they faced police brutality. They were water cannoned. Um, and yeah, so they've been protesting for a while. The last time, Greg, when I was on your protest, we discussed all of this in length um but since then there have been like major human rights abuses and major like events where modi's government has been jailing journalists they're shutting off electricity they're shutting the internet they're shutting water access bathroom access anything to make sure that these um protests die or are cast in a bad light mm -hmm. they're calling protesters um terrorists, anti-nationals, and all of that, you know, the stuff we know that a government will do to a protest if it's against um, corporate interests. Mm -hmm. um, and these three bills, they would allow corporations to stockpile, they would allow them to set market price, it would, they would basically be buying out the market and small farmers who own less than um, two acres of land would be forced to either sell their land or go deeper into debt. Wow. For the, so it's just it's just another part of Modi's regime where it's selling out to corporate interests. He's sold out so many other industries, um, from trains to um, from like the railroad system to transportation within cities. He sold it to corporate interests. Um, agriculture is just another way for him to um, please his campaign donors. His um, corporate supporters and it's not the first time where he's committed human rights abuses in Kashmir he's been um suppressing voices they they're on I think a couple of months if not a year of full-on like living under a police state he's passed mm -hmm. anti um Muslim 
bills. He's um, he was banned from the U.S. for a couple of years because he committed human rights abuses against. I Muslims. recall that it wasn't until the pr- Trump administration um, welcomed him back. I believe is that correct? Um, somewhat. I think it was just before Trump. It was when he became prime minister, where the U.S. government had to let him. Um, come back because he was a leader of a Mm. democratic state so he's committed human rights abuses farmers there's been a couple of cases where um, activists who are detained they faced physical and sexual abuse one known person was Nodeep Gore she's a Dalit Dalit which is a lower caste um, activist who was detained she was just released today I believe um, and she faced physical and sexual torture at the hands of the police. Uh-huh. Um, there's several other journalists who were arrested, whose cameras were broken as they were reporting what's happening live at the streets. Activists are being detained. Um, individuals like Rihanna, Mina Harris, Greta Thunberg are being um, called anti, not anti-nationalists, but like um, anti-Indian or against Indian's government where foreign agents are trying to infiltrate. That's sort of like the propaganda that's going around. They're burning pictures of Rihanna, um, Mina Harris, and Greta Thunberg. And um, I believe Mina Harris has talked about like ever since she's spoken out, she's been getting like rape threats and like all of these like threats against her for supporting the farmers. And it's Robin, just when you say when you say they, who are who are the they in this who are burning those pictures? Hindu nationalists. Okay, so be be, be What's it called? The B... BJP? BJC. That's what I'm talking. So that's Modi's party, right? Yeah. Mo- okay. Modi's party. Um, they're so sort of Hindu nationalists. Is, they... Right. What is their, what is their sort of um, population strength? What is, their, what is the size? I mean, are they, are they a majority or are they a majority within a coalition? Um, how does that work in Indian, in Indian politics there? So it is a parliament. I don't know if they're the ruling party. I'm pretty sure they are. They have a strong foothold. Um, Modi started his campaign with the promises of like, you know, we're going to support the farmers. We're going to do all of this. We're going to make sure that everyone like, you know, we're bettering the lives. But as we've seen, he's not listening. Negotiations Mm -hmm. have been a fail because farmers have been really clear and the unions have been really clear. They're not going to settle for anything less but a full repeal of free bills. Um, Mm -hmm. but where's this gonna go? Uh, It's not gonna end. It's not gonna end. Um, January 26th was Republic Day, where you know it was. We saw mass police brutality. It's where journalists were being arrested. It's where people were being um, kidnapped and disappeared off the streets. There's some like I think it was like a hundreds or two hundred activists are missing they don't know where they are and people our community my community is very afraid that 1984 tactics are being used of disappearing activists and Delhi police and letting people know who they have in their Mm -hmm. um, jails so it's and Modi and Amit Shah they've been calling for more police brutality. If not, their supporters have been saying like, oh, we're gonna do a repeat of 84, which was a sick genocide where people were being killed on a mass level. Um, mm. So, and it's not gonna end. Farmers, you know, these farmers, they're not young, they're elderly. They've seen the partition, they've seen 84. They're not scared of dying for this cause. Um, mm. 
they more people are coming um some villages have stated that at least two people from every household or at least one person from every household will be going to delhi and it's not that they don't have supplies um villages are sending um trucks full of grain um sustenance um there's organizations like Khalsa aid who are providing water who are providing um tents who are providing health care there's a new doctor from new jersey who left to go to india and he's doing he has a clinic and he's making sure farmers are receiving meds if they've been injured if they face police brutality they're being treated they're getting medication so it's not it's they have malls within these camps too they're not going anywhere until these bills are repealed that makes me feel uh very uh i guess optimistic you know that that you mentioned that but it's just you know, it's so funny because, you know, he, he this leader was banned from the United States and all of a sudden he is allowed because, like you mentioned earlier, he is the leader of a democratic state, a democratic state that does this to its people. And I mean, hell, we do it ourselves as, as well. And it, it's sad that, you know, we, our government, just let this pass. This should be on national news. It definitely should be. I know uh, there's been some traction. Um, there was, but Rihanna's tweet blew it wide open. It led to other celebrities and NBA players, NFL players tweeting about it. Some of them donated a couple of thousand or 10 grand to um, farmers. And people are still tweeting about it. It's mm-hmm. not something that's going to die down just because, you know, we've seen this happen before in India. And we really we really want to make sure that India knows it's not 84. It's not a time where they could just get away with this and like through a mm-hmm. media blackout. There's Twitter, there's independent journalists and all of that. Um, is, is, there an, is there an expectation on the side of the farmers um, and the activists um, and the people who are being abused by the nationalists, is there an expectation of any kind of outside intervention, whatever it might be? Um, and I am not a supporter of, of outside intervention regime change, um, but in any expectation expectation of some sort of multilateral coalition that would be stepping in to help the people um, or, or do they pretty much feel like they are on their own um you know i don't want to speak for for them just because i'm not on the ground i've been just following through you know my my family's been following through media we've been following through like independent journalists we've been um listening to our families in india but in my opinion i don't think they're expecting the u.s to be like hey repeal the bills or like the u.n the u.n has been tracking this i know amnesty international has been tracking this um the world um there there's an organization i'm forgetting the exact name but the human rights council is looking into this um but they're not expecting the u.s or like the uk or like um security council to like step in and be like he is a huge trading partner yeah yeah Yeah, but u.s um representatives have been talking about this like i know they sent a letter to the ambassador saying like you know human rights abuses should not be happening there shouldn't be a media blackout there should be electricity they should have access mm-hmm. to water i know rokana has spoken about this jim costa john garamendi um and several others the sick coalition of the u.s is doing great work on making sure 
that people are talking about this, that letters are being sent to um, representatives, senators. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's there's a huge um, population within the U.S. who are supporters of the BJP. Like Modi came to a Howdy Modi event in Texas where his supporters were gathered. He did a tour of the Silicon Valley. He was invited to speak on the floor. Um so there is like there are supporters of him who are in the U.S. who are donating to these um, representatives who are, you know, where they aren't speaking about it. Like my congressman isn't talking about it. And he's a known sure so mine either. <laughs> well, yeah, but oh, we've, go been ahead. Doing, we've been doing letters. If you want to help send the letters, speak about it, use your platforms um, and then send letters call in, send letters, email your representatives. And Fresno, Madeira, and I think Seattle too, they um, passed a resolution in support of the farmers. So That's doing great. stuff like that is very important. But for more information, you guys can follow my account. I know I've done like a couple of highlights on this. Yeah, um, go ahead you and check out your, your social media. It's Robin Rahill, R-O-B-I-N-R-A-H-I-L. And there's, um, I also post about like different um, accounts you could follow to stay more updated mm-hmm. on this but if you guys have any more questions i can answer those too to yeah. the best if, if any, any of y'all are watching please go ahead and check her out um uh check out our co-host robin's uh social media she covers this mm-hmm. on a daily basis let's go ahead and move on to um uh some news at home so um According to Biden, the $15 minimum wage won't make it into the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill. Um, so Democratic lawmakers were trying to put, uh, well, were pushing to increase the federal minimum wage to 15 an hour. But that may have been wishful, I guess, thinking, because the Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth uh, Mc. McDonough, is it McDonough? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, on Thursday ruled against passing the minimum wage legislation through um, reconciliation. Now, this is literally the first time in four years I've ever heard about this Senate parliamentarian. I found out that this person even isn't even an elected official and it's just an advisory for the Senate. Mm-hmm. And it takes one person the vice president of the United States to overrule this person. Someone who had campaigned for a $15 minimum wage during her presidential campaign. Uh, Anyone, go ahead uh, and tell me your thoughts on this. Um, Go on, Jason. Go ahead, Thomas. Okay. So, I mean, the Democratic Democratic Party is failing in both houses right now. Mm-hmm. Even even the American um, uh, Re- Recovery Act uh, is, is that what it's called? Uh, I forget what yeah. it's called in the house. Yeah. Uh, you know, they 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 are talking about fifteen dollars, but they're talking about it in in five years. You know, mm-hmm. and we don't need fifteen dollars uh, in five years. We need fifteen dollars now. In fact, we need twenty dollars now. In fact, we actually need twenty five dollars now. Mm-hmm. So this idea that it would even be satisfactory to put fifteen dollars off for another five years is ludicrous. But then mm-hmm. you go to the Senate, uh, and and you know, if you have tracked 
um, the way the Republicans do things. The Republican Party does not put up with this nonsense, right? In 2001, mm -hmm. the Senate parliamentarian disagreed with what Bush wanted to do with the big tax cuts. And the Senate parliamentarian said, you know what, this is not really something that we can do through the process that we have at hand right now. And what they did was they fired that parliamentarian yeah. and got somebody in there who wanted to rule in their favor. So the idea that this parliamentarian has any authority whatsoever is absolutely ludicrous. And so for those of us in, in, you know, in, in my position, what I have been saying here, one, Kamala Harris could, in the Senate at the very least, push this through with the stroke of a pen, the bang of a gavel, mm -hmm. whatever it is. It is entirely her mm -hmm. decision, okay? Match it up with what's going in, on in the House, and you see that the Democrats don't really have a plan to get us an increased minimum wage as it is. Um, and, you know, that's that's where they're at. And and this, this is just another one of those things that we have talked about week after week after week where you think – what is the voting going to be like in 2022? Mm -hmm. And are the Democrats going to be able to hold on to the House or the Senate? And if they can't manage this thing right here, that is going to get something to people who are in desperate need of it, 27 million people right now on a minimum wage looking for a wage increase, they're going to pay at the ballot box. I wish yeah. they would understand that they are going mm -hmm. to pay at the ballot box. That's so true. That's Elizabeth, go ahead. Yeah, so Jason, you made a lot of great points. Um, I didn't know about this parliamentary body either until this happened. Mm -hmm. uh, I just really hate that when people create policy, they equate uh, large businesses with small businesses. And like Jason said, um, you know, they're talking about implementing it in 2025. They're not even talking about implementing it today. So like, um, what's that, Senator? Uh, Manchin? Yes. He's talking, about <laughs> <That senator>. how, <laughs> he's talking about how it would be really bad for small businesses if we were to pass this legislation or to include it into the release package. Um, well, first of all, it's a lie because it wouldn't start tomorrow if it's like in 2025. And then um, roll out a policy that holds small businesses and corporations to different standards. That's what the state of California does. They have, you know, if you have more than 50 employees, you have to meet the $15 minimum wage. If you have less than 15, well, then your time frame is extended. Why can't we do something like that? And I hate that they keep, you know, kind of like saying small businesses are going to hurt. Well, then create a safeguard to protect small businesses. Okay. Subsidize those wages. Subsidize. Yeah, subsidize. You know, yeah. Why not subsidize for small them. businesses? No. Imagine no. that. Imagine doing multiple things at the same time. Uh, anyone else want to get their thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah, I was just gonna say, like this. Um, I mean, the whole the whole time, the whole Biden presidency, it's it, every everything that needs to get done. Their response has been. You know, we need to do this. Uh, we need to do this the right way, or we need to do mm -hmm. it like you know, like he, he doesn't want to do anything by executive order. He wants to do it through Congress. He feels like he doesn't have the right to do it, even though we know he has the right to do it. Um, and so they just they just don't want to actually govern like 
when the Republicans are in power. They just don't want to do yeah. anything. They don't want to. They don't want to wield the power that they have, or to just refuse to do it on the basis that it's not supposedly good optics. Um, you know, the reality is people will see this and go, "Well, why the hell can the Republicans just?" Like you said, why the hell can the Republicans just do whatever they want every single time, but the mm-hmm. Democrats just hamstring themselves for no reason whatsoever? And I think uh, I tweeted out that we need to start discussing this as a Harris-Biden administration. Like Harris is very much a part of this. She very much uh, is involved in these situations. And she could just come out and, you know, help push these things through but she's just Mm -hmm. unwilling to do it um and so we need to really you know if we're if we're looking at okay the likelihood is that harris will probably run as a you know if biden drops out in 2024 harris is going to be the not harris is going to oh yeah she's going to run so we need to we need to as progressives we need to uh make sure that whatever happens in this administration that harris is very much a part of this like she's very much involved in what's going on um because if we don't you know it's just gonna the messaging is gonna be oh well it was biden you know harris is gonna be much better she's not gonna you know i'm glad you mentioned that because i do recall it was a cnn interview with both of them and Joe Biden had said Kamala Harris is going to be my final decision maker. So you are very, uh, you're you're right on the spot on that because yeah, this it she has just as much to do with everything than Biden does. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I can if I can quick close out this, yeah, segment, go ahead. Uh, if, if if we're you know, I, I, I one one of the things that this really draws into focus for is it should draw into focus for everybody is the Democratic Party is simply the other corporate party. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. if the Democratic Party was really the party of the working class, they would not care about, you know, appeasing their corporate donors. They would mm-hmm. not worry. I mean, what you have is a Republican Party that is fully corporate and a Democratic Party that is mostly corporate still isn't going to do much for the working class, although at least they're going to say there's something. I mean, this this do I, I don't want to get into like the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are the same. They're not the same. Different people are, mm-hmm. are in the two parties. But when it comes down to these economic issues that affect the working class, affect minority communities, the parties are not that much different simply in the sense that neither of them are going to really go out of their way to help mm-hmm. people. I mean, that's I think that that's what we've got to come to terms with. Yeah, very good. And uh, according, and I mean, let's just say that the Biden administration um, is doesn't treat, you know, helping the the working class. That's not its only thing that it, it, I guess, mirrors the Republican Party because this week the Biden administration um, reopened a Trump era detention site. For uh, migrant children, the detention center was recon- uh, was a reconverted camp for uh, oil field workers uh, in Texas, and it's expected to hold 700 children between the ages of 13 and 17, and dozens of kids have already arrived there. Now, what the hell? 
you campaign on. You say that was part of your day one policies of stopping um, the kids in cages. Kids are still in cages. What the hell, guys? Um, Robin, do you have anything to say on this? Just that they're going to be in the shock in 2022 when they lose and they're going to be like, oh, my God, why did, we, why did we lose? Surprise Pikachu face. And it's going to be because, you know, they don't follow through on their word. And it's not even that they're not. It's not that they're trying and failing. It's they're not trying. You ran. Georgia didn't flip blue because they wanted Biden to be president. They flipped Georgia blue because they wanted $15. They wanted their student loan to be forgiven they wanted everything that they were saying and they were promising mm -hmm. and all those right words but they're not going they're just not doing what they should do because like jason and thomas and elizabeth said because of optics and i don't that's my main issue with the democrats is that they always focus on the optics and the mm -hmm. political right thing instead of just the right thing to do and the right thing to do is to fight for $15 an hour. The right thing to do is to push. And if you got those votes by promising $15 an hour, by promising student loan forgiveness, by promising all these progressive things, and you're rolling back on it, it's just, it's just shameful. It's just, I'm not going to be shocked in 2022 when all of these people lose and we don't have control over senate or house just because we were mm -hmm. ineffective and and that's all i have to say yeah what, are, what do you think elizabeth yeah it's it's just very frustrating because like robin said uh, the party you know joe biden won because they were proposing big ideas and mm -hmm they're not delivering what they're supposed to be delivering, but they are delivering on these other things that are not, in my opinion, not, not only are they the right thing to do, but when you don't, when you disregard them and you don't do them, it could be politically damaged, like Robin mentioned in 2022, um, when right now we have the majority, we control all government and we're mm -hmm. not, you know, delivering survival checks like where are they are they going to create a tax February 26th y'all we yeah, still got so no I, checks I'm just really sad that we are you know using our resources to open up these camps or these detention centers um I don't know if you guys are familiar from what were what was the thing that prior administrations used to do when uh, minors would have arrived at the border. I'm not sure if this is was the law, but I do come from mixed status family. And it was, it was always my understanding if minors came to the United States, they would, you know, be put into a database and then they would be released to a family member that's here in the U.S. And to me, that sounds like the humane thing to do um, so again, I'm not sure why, what, what is their justification to put my, children into these camps? Yeah. My understanding is that they would seek foster homes for them. Um, but you know, a, a couple of, a couple of things, um, you know, outside of, outside of any family, um, 
ties that they may be able to find for them, you know, to have an accompanying minor. Um, but a couple of things that are really concerning about this is one, the companies that they are hiring to run these camps are absolutely rife with human rights abuses going back years and years and years. This company BCFS uh, in Texas um, has logged at least 80 human rights violations, and we're talking about um, abuse. We're also talking about, um, you know, sexual inappropriateness uh, and uh, with, with, with these younger children. Um, and uh, they're paying these, this, this is the sort of a gov government contract deal, they're paying $750 a day to this company for each of these children. You know, why are we not, why are we not um, housing these kids, you know, in, in a motel, right? People mm -hmm. aren't using motels. Let's say we'll sanction, you know, some motels for this uh, and we'll make sure that they have, you know, that they're not, they're, they're not kept in camp situations, sort of more more like concentration camp situations mm -hmm. uh, and, and more like in a reasonable housing situation. I think that's what people want. Um, and the other thing that we have to realize is that our immigration system is woefully underfunded and understaffed. And a lot of that does have to do with um, the, the Republicans not putting the judges on the immigration courts and, and funding that department. And so mm -hmm. Biden really needs to get his butt in gear with getting the immigration department. So, so that the people who are coming who have that due process coming to them, you know, as a, as a right of asylum, that they have that due process coming to them, that they are processed fairly humanely mm -hmm. uh, and justly. Thomas, you want to finish us off? Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of manufacturing concern going on right now. Um, mm -hmm. The media has completely switched its, you know, its wording from kids in cages to migrant facilities. Um, oh, you, that's a good point. Yeah, it's its really, uh, it really is quite disgusting. Um, I, I will say that um, you're right, Jason, where, you know, the, the America already has a child sheltering program, you know, for, for American kids. Um, and uh, why, like, why do we need a completely separate institution that you're right has so many human rights abusers? I mean, a point an example of what's happening in Texas: uh, children were literally um, uh, complaining about the cold, and then uh, ICE officers literally uh, got fans out and started blowing cold air on them. Like that's literally what they've been doing, like in these in these facilities. Um, so. Um, yeah, the, the, it, I'm sorry, but um, I should be abolished. Uh, this thing should not exist. Um, mm -hmm. These camps, um, these camps are literally just someone put a sticker over it and going smiley face. Yeah, it's all good now. Don't worry about it. Um, and there are far too many people that have just, you know, they, they obviously just don't care. They don't care now that it's a there's Democrat a administration. Of, there's a lot of justification from uh democrats i think the left is really up in arms in this but the you know the people who were like we want biden in because just biden is better than trump and they're not analyzing things beyond that they are really justifying like now that biden's doing it it's okay well what do you expect him to do what would you rather he did you know rather than saying you know you, mm -hmm. you as thomas said you you've got the same program you just you know painted it a prettier color you know yeah exactly yeah. sorry sorry just uh, I was watching, I saw on Twitter where Meghan McCain and the press secretary were going at it and the press secretary- Oh, she only cares because, yeah, go ahead. I know exactly what you're talking about. I hate this. The man. press secretary was saying <laughs> that, hey, like, you know, these, these centers have like, you know, 
more comfortable beds. They have like basketball things. It's more COVID safe. And I was just thinking that they're they're still in cages. And I feel like when everyone was up in arms during the Trump administration, it was like, where's that energy? Do y'all think like, this is okay like it's still not okay no kid no kids in cages under biden no kids under cages under trump no kids in cages period exactly there's there's it's just disgusting (laughs) and i'm so disappointed and like like that and yeah in democrats who are saying like no no it's okay like look we're treating them more humanely but the humane thing to do is reunite them with their parents reunite them with their families like it's not that hard to do. Like, you have the records. You know who their parents are. You know where, what you need to do. You're choosing not to do this. It's it's not like, oh, you know, we can't. Like, you know, there's this or that. It's like, no, you're choosing to do this. You're choosing not to do the right thing. You're choosing to cover mm-hmm. it up, as Thomas said, with the smiley sticker face instead of doing the right thing. It's, it's, it's disgusting. All right. And so since it is the last Friday of February, which is also Black History Month. We're going to shout out two figures. Um, So Jason and I are going to present this week. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and present um, Harriet Tubman because there is a lot uh, yeah, everyone knows that she, you know, made several trips down south to, you know, free some slaves. But when the Civil War began, Tubman didn't work for the Union Army. First as a cook and a nurse, and then a scout and a spy, okay? Uh, She is technically the first woman to serve in the U.S. Army and the first Black woman. She um, went ahead and led an expedition in the war, and she guided a raid at um, uh, Cumbahee Ferry, and she liberated more than 700 enslaved people. And after the war, she went ahead and retired um, to her family home, uh, which she had purchased in 1859 in uh, Auburn, New York. And um, she lived to be, I believe, in her 90s. Yeah, 91. So shout out to Harriet Tubman. All right. She was a badass, a five foot two badass who who did not accept lit from anyone so just yeah all right jason you go ahead and give us your shout out um well mine's a little bit of a different take i mean we're certainly gonna discuss um a Mm -hmm. a uniquely important figure in um black american history malcolm x uh but what we're what we're gonna talk about here sadly um and maybe not unexpectedly is the revelation this last week that the New York Police Department and the FBI were complicit uh, in his assassination. There was a letter released, and I'm going to, I've got it, uh, let's see here. I guess I don't have it right now. But um, there there was a letter uh, that was released from a New York Police Department officer. Uh, He had written it around 10 years ago. Um, he had not wanted it to uh, be released uh, until after his death, um, but he indicated uh, a long, uh, a multi-year sort of operations to track um, Malcolm X and his associates to try and 
sort of entrap them to catch them doing something illegal uh and then this ended up escalating into um some people getting pulled off of duty um mm. the, and distracted the night that he was assassinated um and this was all for the purpose of clearing the line to um assassinate him so um it is not unexpected in 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 the history of the united states uh where the you know, racist capitalist government, uh, the anti, you know, sort of the anti-left, the anti-communist. This is coming out of McCarthyism, coming out of J. Edgar Hoover's uh, FBI operations um, that were very interested in, in, in maintaining sort of a culture of fear against uh, um, black activist communities. Uh, this is not at all unsurprising, and yet mm -hmm. it remains um, just devastating and tragic. So I think we need to recognize that. And I'm, yeah. I'm very interested in what follow-up investigations may be done on this and in what atonement may come from it. And if we look at the history of atonement from the United States government, uh, precious little, I would expect. Yeah. Does anyone want to chime in? Yeah, I, I just, um, you know, with, with the revelation, it's very much uh, on brand for the way the U.S. government has treated black radicals. Um, Fred Hampton being another example. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, what really resonates with me with Malcolm X is he, in his autobiography, talked about, um, people being locked up in cages and saying how it changes people and saying how mm -hmm. it saying how it um devastates lives and he talked about how um he's not he wasn't totally against prison the idea of prisons but he was against the idea of bars because bars um just change people yeah and i think you and i think you can't have racial justice without having criminal justice reform you can't you can't with with the incarceration rate in the United States, you you we can't we can't get anywhere with this unless we seriously tackle um, uh, incarceration in this country. Yeah. Wow. Well, there, like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would just like to say that um, I encourage you to talk out about all. There's many amazing black leaders, writers, creators, and black history is not just, you know, for February, and it's actually American history, and not yeah. only that, it's Black history um, has led many of the progression that this country has experienced, so yeah, I just encourage everybody to, you know, throughout the year to learn about somebody. Mm -hmm. All right, and now let's welcome Professor Christina Manzano. She is an astronomer. Uh, she teaches astronomy at Mount Sac. She is my professor. Thank you for joining on. Thank you for having me. Very cool to be here. So today we're gonna uh, we're all gonna talk about climate change. Uh, we recently had um, a very scary blizzard in Texas that um, ended up having people losing power. Uh, their pipes had burst, and a few people actually passed away because of it. Uh, Christina, what are your thoughts on that? And um, what is your take on the on how we are acting on the climate crisis? Oh no. Um, well, I feel like, uh, of course, 
storms are getting worse. Um, that is absolutely due to climate change caused by humans. Um, but what we're seeing right now in Texas is just a demonstration of the complete lack of ability to deal with these um, crises that are just mm -hmm. going to continue to get worse. And it, uh, it pains me because we consider the United States to be a first world country, but we're just seeing right now how unprepared we are to deal with disasters of this magnitude. And it's all because uh, we're valuing profits over public safety and human life. Like if you look at this um, catastrophe and the powers that, uh, or I, I guess the, um, the motivations behind the power companies, mm -hmm. they're completely motivated by profit. And they'll even say it out loud, like, oh, we wanna capitalize on the fact that now production is down demand is up because everyone is cold and at home and other uh and the grid is strained so now uh you see things like uh the price of electricity going up by ten thousand percent and there's incentive for them to only produce when uh prices are that high so uh but what the way it should be done is you should have power on reserve to prevent a blackout but that's not as profitable as producing when it is when the price is high. So, yeah, um, it's a shame they've known about this for decades and did nothing to prepare for it. Things are just going to continue to get worse, and um, yeah, mm -hmm. frustrates me. <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. I have a I have a question. Uh, my name is Jason Call. I am a congressional candidate in Washington's 2nd District, uh, very supportive of the Green New Deal um, and our need to tackle climate change. Um, some of the arguments that came out from the governor of Texas um, and other people in the Texas area actually uh, had the nerve to blame this. It said something along the lines of, this is what happens when you, uh, when you start messing around with sustainable energy or the green. They wanted to blame it on the Green New Deal, which is obviously not even policy yet uh, but but let's talk about that energy grid how do we get what what are your thoughts on how we get an energy grid that can, can handle our needs um sustainably and and renewably how how do we what is that process of being like you know take the politics out of it what's the phase out and phase in uh, of getting renewable sustainable energy Hmm. Well, that's not really my field. Um, so that I feel like that would be more of an engine. If we're going to take politics that's out of it, okay. I would say that that's more of like an engineering question. And okay. um, from the last time I took a class on this, uh, which was over 10 years ago, I feel like the, um, the field has advanced a lot. And it feels like um, we're, we're moving more towards solar is kind of like the leading uh, thing that people are saying is what's going to um, be the number one uh so the, the real barrier is politics that's yeah i would that's say really so what it comes down to mm -hmm. sure 100 percent. Okay. like the the problem here is not even that they're using natural gas to heat homes that's actually the most efficient way to heat a home but um the the fact is that or the problem here is that they knew that this infrastructure needed to be up uh, upkept and it's not profitable for them to do it. They knew that they had mm. to weatherize their systems uh, and they didn't because it cost money and um, and in fact it's more profitable for them to have it fail uh, and then overproduce 
or not even overproduce, just produce only enough that um, people need to use their energy at specific times. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. What, so what you're really saying is we need to nationalize our entire energy systems and federally invest on upgrading all of them to be renewable and sustainable. I mean, that's just the answer. Well, nationalize <laughs> all utilities. You know, yes. actually, let, let, let's, let's yeah, talk about was... that. Um, anyone want to chime in about nationalizing utilities such as electricity, gas, water? Um, uh, Elizabeth, Robin, do you guys want to chime in? I'm just going to say, I'm going to be real honest. I haven't been following climate change. I do believe that we need to be using more renewable sources. We need to make sure that we're being equitable in how we treat climate change, making sure our most vulnerable are being protective. But can we just define nationalizing utilities, please? Yeah, so I would basically um, like Medicare for all, but all of our utilities, you know, so... Well, I I want to push back on that because what Medicare for all doesn't nationalize hospitals. It, oh, that's it, true. It, it's part of it. It, 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 it. It's just like a mandated universal health care. Something close to it would be the NHS, like the UK. Mm. Um, and uh, I will say this, that uh, what happened in Texas, what you saw coming out was that el uh, um, electric companies are making bank like a lot of money they were able to charge people like ten thousand dollars just for one month's use of electricity so they're very happy with this whole situation they love mm -hmm. it they absolutely love it because they're able to just completely um take advantage of people in a time of like you know there are i'm sure there's laws on the books where you can't take advantage of a national disaster but that's I'm not too but sure. Well, I'm a bit vague on that. I don't think I don't think that there are Naomi. No, and that's written her book. <laughs> again, again, ago. again, so. that's a problem, isn't it? You know, you, you allow a private corporation to basically take advantage of people mm -hmm. in, a, in a great time of need. Like, what's the point of having these utilities um, when you like when they don't work when you desperately need them to? Like, you know, mm -hmm. what? Like, it's it's obviously um, doesn't work in the favor of people. So. Um, at least with nationalizing uh, utilities, there is accountability in terms of, you know, uh, for, because it's a, it's a public, it's a public utility and people have accountability mm -hmm. towards the government, you know, they, mm. you know, but when, when you have a private corporation, they sort of have, they don't really have any accountability, you know, it's just. Uh, well, and it's no surprise, having gone through Enron <laughs> in the early 2000s, uh, it, it's really no surprise that this would happen again. And. You know, if we don't get a handle on the situation, um, it's going to happen again and mm -hmm. with increasing frequency uh, as, as our climate uh, um, conditions worsen. But I was extremely amused by Ted Cruz's response to the jacking up of prices where he said, oh my goodness, this should never happen, that people should be gouged in a, in a pandemic. And my response to him was, so you agree capitalism sucks. Right? Elizabeth, you're about to say something. Oh, yeah. So um, just the nationalizing the utilities. I know in Northern California, when the fires happened, I don't even know which fire because there's been like <laughs> four that I can remember from the past uh, five years. But uh, basically, PG&E also did a similar thing to what mm -hmm. Texas did. The private mm -hmm. utility um, company didn't safeguard the electrical wires, I guess, out in um, the, I don't know, the more rural areas.
areas of Northern California. Mm-hmm. And then strong winds happen or just natural stuff happens. And it knocks over these cables and then it sparks the fire. So when that was happening over there in Northern California, they were talking about nationalizing the public the utilities um, companies just because you find that utilities under private ownership is negligent. Mm-hmm. And when it's under private ownership, you know, in corporate hands, they do have to be accountable to somebody, which is their stakeholders, which is where it's not profitable to uh, safeguard utilities and nationalizing and putting it into the government's hands mm-hmm. or having them oversee it or regulate it uh, ensures that they are watching out for the public, the community's interest that when strong winds occur or really cold winter occurs, that the people are going to be um, okay and that these utilities these basic necessities are going to be able to provide light, warmth, whatever it is that. Yeah. Yeah. I was Um, just going to say, um, Elizabeth, you're actually right about California because that's what happened in paradise. Like when we we completely obliterated mm -hmm. that whole, that whole place. And um, the, the responses I'm getting online with, you know, with, a lot of Democrats is you don't like, you know, you vote Republican, who cares about you? And like people forget like California, even though it's supposedly a very progressive state uh, has the, it could easily, we could have wildfires this summer and it could completely Mm -hmm. obliterate whole towns, whole cities uh, because, because of these electrical faults Mm -hmm. and because of these problems with our, with our, with our utilities. Now, Christina, um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, for Christina. So talking about the wildfires here in California, what do you think, what does a Green New Deal look for our state here? You took the words right out of my mouth, girl. (laughs) And I love Mount Sass. I don't know if you ever met him, but Craig Peterson is actually the environmental science teacher over there at Mount Sass that taught me about climate change. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I'm brand new to Mount Sac. So I, and I started during the pandemic. So I never actually got to go to campus and meet everyone. So I'm really looking forward to one day when we can go back. <laughs> uh, I think they're thinking about it in the fall. But um, oh, yeah. So anyway, uh, what would a Green New Deal look like in California? Um, well, unfortunately, I, I've spent all of my time before this reading of reading up about Texas. So I have like a bunch to say about Texas, weirdly, even though I've never. Hey, been, I mean, if you but, want um, to talk about Texas. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I'll, I'll say a thing about Texas. But yeah, definitely um, wildfires are going to be our thing. Right. So there we really should uh, be thinking about, you know, warm weather things um, mm-hmm. like wildfires. That's when things get really serious here. So uh, I, one thing I would really love to see is um, not using prisoners to fight wildfires. That would be great. Uh, I would love yeah. that. Uh, I'm not I sure. I would love that. Yes. That's that <laughs> yes, dystopian. That's so dystopian. It's terrible, right? And at mm-hmm. the very least, letting them become firefighters after they get released from prison. Like, it's so bizarre. Like, they fight fires while they're in jail. And when they come out, they have all that experience and they can't become firefighters. Well, Total you, bullshit. So the whole idea of using prisoners to fight wildfires, you can trace that all the way back to the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment says that there's no, uh, you can't have any slavery unless if you are serving a crime. 
So that's why for-profit prisons came up. That's why you have prison labor. And it's sickening. It's legal slavery. It's modern-day slavery in the United States. And uh, that's a whole other discussion for another day. Yeah. But, uh, Christina, you mentioned that you wanted to mention something about Texas earlier. Um, yeah, so I, I was thinking also about, so we're dealing with um, some cold weather catastrophes, mm-hmm. right? They didn't harden their systems against cold weather. They weren't prepared for like a blizzard. Uh, but something that Texas gets all the time is warm weather, right? And so the oceans are warming. Uh, that means that we're going to get more powerful hurricanes more frequently. And um, in fact, I believe it was Hurricane Harvey that made landfall mm. over Houston a few years ago, and that caused a whole bunch of damage. And um, the thing is, they have to get ready for more intense storm surges. And there is a nuclear power plant that's sitting right up next to a, I believe it's a canal, not necessarily a river, but it's prone to storm surges. And if a really powerful storm surge comes through, it's gonna pick up all of these like debris, shipping containers and stuff like that, and slam it into the nuclear power plant and send nuclear waste everywhere. And so this isn't to, you know, drum up hysteria over um, uh, over nuclear power, because actually uh, I am a proponent of nuclear power uh, to some extent. It's actually safer and less uh, less radioactive than mining coal. Are you, in, are you into the new thorium coal? reactors? The new thorium reactors to, to, to upgrade the nuclear power plant with, uh, grid with the, the thorium reactors? Is that what you're talking about? Oh, not, not specifically that. Um, so what I was thinking about in this instance is that um, if the way that they're handling the power grid when uh, when dealing with an unexpected uh, natural disaster, um, if this is any indication, then they're definitely not hardening up the um, the nuclear reactor that they already have, uh, okay, making so sure that it's safe it. from storm surges. Because if that thing goes out, that's going to be a huge problem. There's sure. just going to be nuclear waste everywhere. Um, yeah. I was going to say, uh, my, my, my dad actually works um, at a nuclear facility in the UK, Sedgefield, uh, um, and he was saying that the only issue with nuclear power is that they have no way of getting rid of nuclear waste like at all. And the way they have to deposit it and deal with it is they have to encase it in like these large... Um, concrete. Concrete like uh, containers. But every so often, they have to re-contain them. So you're having to put a container over a container over a container over a container because there's no way to actually get rid of it. Um, and that's the only issue with nuclear okay, power. Okay, space question. Can we just, like, launch that shit in the sun? It, it's a little bit hard to launch something directly <laughs> into the sun, but, you know, I always wonder about that. Like, why don't they shoot it into space? I don't know. I'm sure that that could cause problems elsewhere. Also... Actually, no. I had that one neuron go off, and uh, you know what it said? It's expensive. Oh, yeah. Of course, they're not going to do that. You know what's not expensive is letting it leak into the water. Oh, no. I was going to say, it reminds me of a Futurama episode where they shoot the garbage into space. Oh, yeah, it it. comes back. (laughs) (laughs) And it comes back and hurtles towards Earth. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, uh, Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I really appreciate you. You, you know, you, you're a really good um, 
professor I've ever had. So I'm so glad that, you know, you, you have these opinions and you're able to share them on this platform that we created. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, thank you so much for having me on and um, it, giving me a chance to rant about politics. Uh, I don't usually get to. So, yeah. Well, I mean, if awesome. you ever feel the need to just come back. <laughs> oh, you know, if if you ever need a scientist to weigh in on things, uh, I'll do my best to brush up on that uh, particular field beforehand. I'll and yeah, nice, fantastic. <laughs> All right, nice. well, thank you so much. Um, do you have any like a website or like anything that you want to shout out? Oh, let's see. I'm not very online. Um, well, okay. I do actually have something to shout out. Uh, I've been working in Riverside to get a Food Not Bombs branch going. Uh, oh. So um, we recently uh, got a couple new connections so we can start uh, doing regular services. And so we will mm -hmm. be um, collecting donations on Fridays at the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church in downtown Riverside. Uh, we collect donations of um, food of any sort, so it can be perishable or non-perishable, um, uh, lightly used clothing, tents, stuff like that for the unhoused community. Um, wow. So we collect donations on the first Saturday, and we distribute on the third Saturday of every month, starting in March. Well, that's great, y'all. If you nice. um, if that interests you, please go ahead and check it out. Thank you so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right, and that concludes our episode of Okay Now What. Please tune in next week for another episode and just to stay on top of what's going on in America. And also, uh, please check us out on social media. Our social media is in the description below. Uh, give us a follow. Tell your friends about us. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe, ring the bell for notifications, and we'll see you next week. Toodaloo.